You may wish to adjust the dial you're currently tuned into. The wrong station. I never thought of myself as the sort of person you'd find sitting in his car at 2 a.m., stinking of another woman's sweat while his wife stays up at home taking care of a newborn with colic. But if I'm honest with myself, I always sort of suspected I was. Let's not get into when I gave myself permission to be that kind of man. You know, it was easy enough to stay loyal 200 years ago when we were all just sitting in the village covered in pig shit. But today you're just bombarded with it. Every wall plastered with some smooth face, some curved tot of flesh. Every time you look at your phone. I mean, come on, it's just everywhere. Doesn't it just bring it out of you? Knowing there's someone more attractive, more perfect, just a few swipes away. Knowing that you can have it? So yeah, that was how I found myself. 2 a.m., both hands on the steering wheel, feeling the buttery leather... The thick stitch seams pressing into my fingertips, promising myself it was the last time. I always went on a drive, you know, afterward. Always ended up in the same half-forgotten neck of town, somewhere nobody would recognize my license plate. You know the type of place. Long, empty streets of grimy brown brick two-stories lit up orange in the night. Streets empty, shops half-boarded up. You wonder, who lives here, who goes here, and never find out. I was parked in the usual spot, a five-way intersection of empty shops and apartments and a radiant gas station with one sleeping clerk at the checkout. There was only one shop at the intersection, crouched out there in the rear view as I sat with the window open, smoking cigarettes to cover up the scent of perfume, any name long since faded from its ragged awning. Inside the dusty front window, a few old mannequins posed woodenly in the gloom, all Long legs and right angles, whorish and uncanny in red rayon lingerie. The storefront always dark, always hollow. Except, that night, for the very first time, a light was burning above the door. A white, flickering bulb, cold, yellowish-blue, humming in the summer night. Two weeks later, I was sitting there again. The feeling of Marina's hips still in my hands as I fumbled for a cigarette. And there was that light bulb, burning cold. The thought occurred to me, who was paying that electric bill? I pulled around and parked on the other side of the street, facing that dusty window. It had been raining earlier that evening. Marina, watching taillights in the turnpike, bead red through the window droplets as I struggled limply with a condom. 
But now the night had cleared, the humidity gone, a freshness dispersing the cigarette smoke from my open window. I decided to take a closer look, the click of my car door deafening in the 2 a.m. silence, the click of expensive shoes on damp pavement, the rustle of broadcloth in the breeze, my dim reflection in the dusty glass. Somebody had changed the mannequins. The lingerie still red, but darker. The color of fuck-me lipstick, like Catherine had worn at the office party last Christmas. I stepped close to the glass, studying the cloth. No longer rayon. Now the mannequins were all provocative and tight silk, soft as young skin, woven in, in patterns I'd never seen before, held tight to the plastic flesh. Alluring. Designer, certainly. I wanted to study it more closely, feel the grain between my fingertips, smell whatever faint tinge still lingered from the model's body. I realized my breath was fogging the glass and that a flush had stolen up my neck. God, I must look ridiculous, I thought, some kind of midnight lecture ogling the mannequins. I stepped back quickly, clearing my throat as I glanced around at the second-story windows, half expecting to see some mocking face. But they were all dark. The only face in that empty intersection was my own, plus a few vague simulacra in the dusty window. I turned away quickly and drove home, found wife and child asleep in the nursery, both with circles underneath their eyes. I showered, scrubbing myself virginal in the heat, then slept on the couch, dreaming of turnpike lights beaded red against the moaning glass. It had to be some sort of boutique, a specialty shop, secret, hyper-exclusive, a speakeasy of lingerie, that light on every night, and the changing silks that crawled up plastic thighs in the window. It had to be. Unless it was something more illicit still. Bordello, known only by word of mouth or discovered by enterprising nighttime travelers. Marina's birthday was coming up. Maybe a gift was in order. I could only lie about working late so many nights a week, so I canceled plans with Marina that evening and stayed at the office until the city streets below were truly dead. By the time a long, gray elevator took me down to the parking garage, I was trembling. Trembling as I emerged out into the coal and orange humidity, as I half-jogged the sleek blackness of my Mercedes. I took a moment to gather myself inside, wrapping fingers around the wheel, the cool calfskin. What was I anticipating? Why was I so excited? Why had I cancelled plans with my mistress to drive out to a poor part of town and stare through a dusty window? I put my foot on the gas, broke every speed limit roaring through the silent neighborhoods. I didn't even think of police. They don't stop a car like mine. Not in this city. Once, I tried to find the intersection with the shop by day, but had become totally lost. Now, I knew my way instinctively like I was following some whiff of honeysuckle on the air. That light still on as I roared into the intersection, cold and yellow-blue as I slammed my door in the silence, no eyes watching from the upper windows, my pulse in my throat as I stepped toward that cool humming light, that dusty glass, that door, my palms sweating as I reached for the knob, and found it unlocked. Inside, the shop was all dark, the air tinged with dust and scented with its dry perfume. All was empty. Empty shelves, empty racks, 
an empty checkout desk, and behind it an open door to a black and empty back of house. All dark. And then, the soft rustle of footsteps behind me. I turned and felt cool limbs wrapped around my own, cool faces nuzzling against my neck, a cool hand thrust down the front of my pants, and at the same time, my fingers splayed against cold plastic flesh, caressing, exploring, testing the grain of silk cloth as I pulled it down past plastic curves, exposing flat areola and hard, cold, rough-edged plastic holes. They took me, all four of them from the dusty window, and it was as hard and painful as any in my life, and to this day I cannot get the... hunger, thirst for it, out of my mind. I drove home that night, wide-eyed and gray with damp sweat, not certain what had happened, not certain if I was out of my mind, reliving and reliving the silent ecstasies that they had inflicted on me. I showered, though there was no perfume to wash from me but that of dust, no lubrication but that of my own blood. It had been some time since my wife and I had been intimate. I was lucky in that. I wouldn't have been able to explain the chafing wounds. For a week, I stayed home sick and pitying myself, while also tortured by fantasies and recollections of what had happened. I developed a urinary tract infection. When I felt up to leaving the house again, it was only a day or two before I was asked to leave the department store near my office for passing what I thought was a subtle hand up the thigh of one of the window mannequins. It was several weeks before I saw Marina again. She was understandably chilly toward me. I'd missed her birthday, been distant. She thought I'd ghosted. But when I gave her the half-truth that I'd been ill, she relented. We met up like we used to, at an out-of-the-way cocktail bar in her corner of the city. Drank old fashions in the humid shadows. Laughed and threw long, dark, charged looks at one another. Like when we'd first been playing with the idea of cheating. It felt like a new beginning for us. Until she invited me back to her place, and I asked if she had any outfit she could wear. Anything plastic and cold, like a cheap Halloween costume. She laughed at first, and played along, dressing herself in the latex of a dollar store nurse. But she took offense when I tried to get her to lie still, to fold herself into cold right angles. You know what? That's enough. She got up, put on a robe, stood by the door with her arms folded. I'm fed up with you always creeping off to use Tinder in the bathroom when we're out, staring at ads like you want to fuck the billboards they're printed on. It's embarrassing. It's creepy. Oh, like you're so perfect? I'm not the only one here cheating. She said, I'd like you to leave now. God, the calm tone of voice was so much worse. I wish you'd screamed at me. I stalked out of her place in an unaccustomed fever and got in my car and drove without having any idea where. Just drove for the sake of driving, to try and take my mind off the truth of what she'd said. The shame had been bad enough before when it was only infidelity, but now... What had I become? I'd taken to standing in the kitchen and wrapping plastic wrap around my hand until the skin went graying and numb, just to feel that touch on my cheek. There was something sick inside me. I pulled over to the side of the road and shouted and hit the steering wheel as hard as I could. 
I blubbered like a little child, feeling the snot pool on my upper lip and dribbled down the edge of my mouth. I whimpered and rocked back and forth, saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, to no one, for nothing in particular. It was some time before I realized where my Mercedes had brought me. A five-way intersection in the middle of nowhere. Brown brick tenements, a gas station blazing with gray-green light, and an abandoned shop with plastic sirens in the window. Above its door, the light still on. It was with almost resignation that I got out of the car, trudged up to the lighted door. Resignation and a cold, pulse-pounding anticipation. And I found the door locked. Some little time after that, the false dawn found me crouching on that stoop, still sobbing softly with relief. Well, I could tell you I changed my ways after that. It's certainly what I told myself. I stopped seeing other people, deleted the apps, tried to keep my eyes to myself, tried to be a better husband, a better father. Any kind of father, really. But I still kept one night a week where I stayed late at the office, just for the plausible deniability. Just in case. Still drove around sometimes, late at night, just to stay in practice. Nights like that I'd stop sometimes, outside the shops in the Mink Mile or Little India, and just watch the window mannequins, feeling my hands grow clammy on the steering wheel, the blood pulsing in my veins, remembering... But I didn't go back to the gas station or the five-way intersection or the shop with the lights still on. After all, I told myself I'd changed. I stayed away. That is, until I came across it by accident one afternoon in the early winter. And I mean it when I say accident. I was running errands on a Sunday afternoon in a completely different corner of the city than where I thought the gas station was. And then, suddenly, I turned a corner and... There it was. Five-way intersection ringed by brown-black two-stories. A little dry window filled with mannequins and red rayon lingerie. I pulled up to the gas station. Filled up. Went inside for a cup of terrible coffee. A young daisy guy at the counter. Hey, uh, is that place across the street ever open? Place across the street? He craned his neck at the window. Oh, yeah. No, Never. Been here for like five years, been closed the entire time. Oh, even at night? He tilted his head, frowning. It was clear I was getting at something, but he wasn't sure exactly what. Trying to score drugs, coming on to him. I'd made him uneasy and I excused myself, forgetting my coffee on the plastic tray full of scratch tickets. Crossing the street, I drifted over to the shop. Unable to stop myself even though I could feel the young guy craning his neck to watch me go. The light above the door was off. Maybe it was on a timer. I stood at the dusty window for a long, long time. Not moving. Five fingertips pressed to the glass. Beneath her lacy silk and satin straps, one of the mannequins was visibly pregnant. I returned that night, woke up at two in the morning and walked out the door, not answering my wife when she asked where I was going, turning off my cell when she called me five times in panic, 
jogging to my Mercedes, sliding into the calfskin seat, feeling the machine cool and muscular beneath me, closing my eyes, trying to feel like the machine's power was my own, trying to feel... agency. <laughs> Fruitless. I opened my eyes, cranked the radio and hit the gas. Cocaine music on the radio, engine roaring down arterial roads, shaking glass in homes two streets back. Heart pounding, mouth dry. Once again, my body knew the way to the five-way intersection. I could have closed my eyes and drifted there. I skidded into the parking space that was always open. Sat there, eyes closed, smelling the burning rubber, letting the grinding synths flow over me. Then, when I thought I was ready, turned the key and let it all go silent. I opened the door, lurched out into the biting winter night, Dry, cold, bits of gritty frost condensing the air to whip in front of the orange street lights, the wool mohair blend of my overcoat unable to keep the cold, plastic wind from cutting my skin. The window was empty, too dark inside to make anything out but vague, dark figures. I licked my dry lips. The smell of perfumed dust was on the air and it made me powerfully aroused. Despite the cold, despite the growing taste of dread in my throat, I stepped slowly to the door, reaching out to the gritty wind to take its battered cold knob in my hand. Tarnished brass, lit gray-green by the white bulb above the lintel. Unlocked. The door swung wide. Wind blew past me, seeking the warmth. But I could still make out nothing inside. Only dim figures. A soft, rustling noise. Perfumed dust. Choking lust. I stepped through. My footsteps rang against dry linoleum. I half expected the rushing plastic seduction I'd known before. I half longed for it. But the mannequins, whose gray forms I could now vaguely see, were completely still. They'd been removed from the window and arranged in a new scene. One of the mannequins, the pregnant one, was lying on the floor with her knees folded and a white sheet across her abdomen. A second mannequin crouched beside her, holding her hand. A third, dressed in a white lab coat and cartoonish head mirror that clashed with her crimson undergarments, was crouched on the other side, carrying a scalpel. The fourth mannequin was on her feet, facing away from me. I stood for a long moment with the cold wind around my ankles, trying to make sense of the scene as a sense of... Revulsion crept its way up the back of my throat. At last I realized why. It was because that mannequin on the floor was dead. Without looking, I could tell that beneath the white sheet, a yawning cut revealed the hollow emptiness of her plastic womb. Dead, bloodless, bleeding too much to bear. But what could it possibly mean for her to be dead? For something plastic, something false, something that never lived. How could it even be hurt? How could it be my fault? And yet, the mannequin that knelt beside and held her hand had its face tilted up toward me. Featureless, accusatory. Yes, she was dead. Yes, it was my fault. And then, that... Small, soft rustling sound again, the one I'd heard while standing at the threshold. 
The fourth mannequin, facing away from me, holding something in her arms. I stepped forward, leaving a wide circle of footprints in the dust around that grey tableau, and came up beside her in the dim, grime-filtered light of the gas station across the street. She carried a baby in her arms, small, slender, little grey limbs too long for a human body, her torso too long and curved for a baby's, and among the flat, idealized features of her plastic face, a pair of eyes. My own. She looked up at me as I took her in my arms, drawing a quiet, shuddering breath. Half alive. Hello, I murmured, reaching one finger for her to grasp with slender, plastic hands. Hello. I'm your father. You're perfect. The Wrong Station is made possible with the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Patrons can listen to The Wrong Station ad-free, as well as get access to bonus episodes, discussions, and more. This week's episode, Mannequins, was written by Alexander Saxton and performed by Anthony Botello. Thank you to Kristen Prescott, Alex Ibel, Scott Nichols, J.T. Ryan, Grimbot, Avi Geddes, and Kristen M. Curry for helping us keep the lights, well, off. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Elan Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmidt. You can follow The Wrong Station on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. And until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>